just review them. Now, first of all, let's go back to the, we talked about how the theme verse is in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, and it says, but the righteous will live by faith. And we can see that on the screen, but the righteous one will live by faith. And so again, the first takeaway is living by faith means trusting or resting in God's faithfulness. We're going to need to rest in that. And that's part of the conversation God is having with Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I've heard you. I understand your concerns. I understand your complaints. I understand your frustration with the wickedness that you see around you. Habakkuk, I understand your frustration with the injustice that you see happening all around you. Habakkuk, I get that. I understand it. I see all of those things. Habakkuk, I want you to trust me. I'm going to address it. I'm going to respond to it. And then God tells him how he's going to address it, how he's going to respond to it, how he's going to bring Babylon, how judgment is going to come and how the nation is going to be punished for the rebellion. He's keeping his promises, i.e. what he said to Solomon as the temple was dedicated. He's keeping his promises. He's keeping his word. Then again, Habakkuk reacts and responds, God, you have got to be kidding me. That's what you're going to do and that's how these wicked, vile, horrible people, you're going to allow them to bring discipline and judgment and justice and how can you do that? And then we had talked about that second takeaway that living by faith, sometimes recognizing there will be accountable, there will be. There will be accountability, Habakkuk. I know it's, it's, it's going to be happening now. Here's a very component of that. God very well may do it differently than the way you probably want things done. He very well, maybe probably, will do it differently than you're expecting. Now, is that okay? You don't seem convinced. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay. Is it comfortable? Maybe not. Is it enjoyable? Probably not. Maybe we would want it done differently. And we're coming back to God and saying, God, what are you doing? We kind of are panicking and freaking out. But God will do what he says he will do. He's going to address issues, but very well at times he's going to do it differently than we want or maybe differently than we expect. And we also see... God may do it through what may appear to be naturally occurring, non-supernatural ways. God says, I'm going to bring Babylon. Man, the world got it. The world understood it. One bully stands up, knocks everybody down. Well, Some of the guys that are tired of getting knocked down stand up and they fight the bully. And then they finally knock the bully off his pedestal. And then they step right up themselves on that pedestal. And then they become the bully. The world got it. Israel got it. Egypt pounded on them. Assyria pounded on them. Babylon pounded on them. Israel and Judah 
pounded on each other at different times, trying to see who is going to have the upper hand over each other. It happens all through history. One bully stands up and tries to dominate everyone around him until someone knocks them off their pedestal, and amazingly, they kind of take on the same format. The world got it. The world understood one bully standing up after another. And, and so they look at this, but they didn't realize that this was God's discipline of the nation of Israel. It was happening what appeared to be a very natural, normal course of events, and yet it was God supernaturally doing it. It just didn't appear or seem supernatural. And I shared with you a little bit ago how in high school, after I graduated, God was catching my attention. It didn't seem crazy supernatural. It was just a whole bunch of flat tires all summer long. You know, it wasn't like this, Andrew, listen to me. You're running, come back. I wasn't hearing that. I was just (laughs) doing that all summer long. Finally, it stuck. Got into my head. God's trying to get my attention. It seemed natural, course of events, but God is supernaturally working through those natural events. So then we pick up. We pick up today, we're going to kind of look at the second, or the second set, or the or woes, three, four, and five. But before we jump into that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I want to say thank you this morning for your goodness to us. I want to say thank you for just watching over us. And Father, I say thank you for the, the conversation and a, an attention and a wrestling match that Habakkuk is having and as you interact with him. And Father, it's, a, it's wonderful to see your grace and your kindness and your patience with him as he wrestles and struggles. Father, I appreciate hearing and seeing the oh going on in a Habakkuk's response. Because, Father, it so often reflects how we can react and respond as well. But, Father, as we kind of enter into this conversation, as you've provided this conversation for us to be encouraged, but also to kind of expand our understanding of you and to learn to lean on you and rest in you, Father, just ask you would guide our time. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so let's look at Habakkuk chapter 12, verses, not not chapter 12, chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. So don't you love that? I sit down, I look, I see verses, verses 12 to 14, but I say chapter instead of verses. I love it. All right, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Woe. This is not, this is not like yay, this is, this is, This is bad. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Let's go back to that. Start of verse 12 again. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. God is saying, listen, those that have done this, who, who, who practice this kind of leadership, who practice this kind of growth and development, who come in and say, I'm going to stomp on you, I'm going to walk on you, I'm going to take from you, I'm going to, I don't care about you, I'm just going to consume off of you. Woe to you. 
It's not going to ultimately go well. It's not going to finish well. And this is exactly part of what Babylon is doing. And again, this is part of God's response to Habakkuk. You've got to be kidding me. You're going to use them? And God's saying, yes, Habakkuk, I'm going to use them. But I want you to understand, justice is going to come to them. Woe to you who builds a city with bloodshed. And that's exactly how they built their city, with bloodshed. Moving people around, taking, taking people that have been free, taking people that knew liberty, and carting them off into slavery. Woe to them. It's not going to go well for them. Who found homes in, in their, their town with injustice. You know, when they come marching in and they decide to sack the city and they knock down the walls, they don't go to the bank and say, oh, can we just see which money you have that's not designated and is not anybody's? They don't go to the, 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 the palace and say, can we only have what's not belonging to anybody? We just, we don't want to take what belongs to people. We just want to take what's, what's free. No, that's not how they respond. They knock over the walls, they knock down the doors, and they say, what, what do you got? It's mine. It's kind of like the thief who walks up to you. Now, this is, now this, this is the, the reality of this whole situation. You have two different kinds of thieves. You have the first thief who does it sneaky. You know, you're not looking and they slip some money out of your wallet. You know, you're away from, you're away from home and they kind of slip the lock or they kind of break the window and they sneak in. And the goal and the objective is that you won't find out for a while. And then all of a sudden, you, 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 the alarms don't go off. The, you, you, you don't know, and you kind of go to get it, and it's, it's all of a sudden not there. And you go, oh, I've been robbed. That's the first kind of thief. The second kind of thief is this. He walks up, punches you in the face, and as you're laying on the ground, he says, give me what you got. This is the Babylon, Babylonian kind of thief. They just walk up, pound you on the head, knock you till you're underground, and then they take everything from you. Injustice. And there's no one there to stand up for you. There's no one there to defend you. There's no one to come back and say, this is wrong. Persecute these guys. Prosecute these guys. Send these guys. There's no one there who's doing that. But God is saying, those that do these types of things, this is wrong. Woe to you. The debt will come due. The choices you are making to live in such an abusive and hostile manner, the debt is going to come due. Woe to you. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? To maybe help you to give a, a better picture on that, maybe a, a different comment from a different writer that maybe explains us a little bit better. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Habakkuk. They were prophets and ministering at the same time. And God gave a similar statement or prophecy to Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 58. 
It says, this is what the Lord of armies says. Babylon's thick walls will be totally demolished and her high gates set ablaze. The people will have labored for nothing. The nations will weary themselves only to feed the fire. They're going to work hard. They're going to strive hard. They're going to accumulate stuff and build stuff. They're going to do it by the force of their fists. And it's going to be for naught. It's going to get burned up. It's going to get consumed. And they're laboring for nothing. Now see, we have a tendency at times to think we're going to do these glorious and great things. We're going to build this and it's going to last forever. What's interesting to me is when the post-apocalyptic stuff started to come out and it started to be published. Let's go back into the day. Okay? Now, this movie has been remade. But when did the first Planet of the Apes come out? All right? Now, this is like, oh man. This is when Charlton Heston was kind of middle-aged. He wasn't even young, but, but this is all like a long time ago. Well, that was one of the first really post-apocalyptic movies. It was, it was the beginning of that process, the whole, whole idea. And, and they come back, and they land back on, on planet Earth, and it's destroyed, and it's, 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 everything is gone. I think in one of the scenes, you see the Statue of Liberty kind of knocked over and kind of sitting on the sand. And, and they kind of hide in some of the subway systems. It's destroyed. We don't, you know, that was part of the jarring nature of the movie. That all of this is going to be gone. Like, you can't go, this is America, it's going to last forever. It's part of the jarring nature of the whole idea. Two big book series that came out over the last number of years. Divergent and The Hunger Games. Both post-apocalyptic. When you read and you open the pages of The Hunger Games, it's post-apocalyptic North America. And it's out somewhere in the Rockies, probably like Denver, the primary now center of the, the North area and the, the kind of the center of the world. You have 13 different areas all around, but it's all post apocalyptic. And you have some great, great, wonderful stuff, but so much is destroyed or divergent. Divergent starts, starts and opens up, and you're in a post apocalyptic Chicago. And you, you kind of, they paint the scene and they paint a picture in this in this desolate waste environment and you can't go past the wall because you go past the wall you're going to die it's a wasteland it's a it's 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 a it's all destroyed and we don't want to think about the stuff that what we build will be destroyed we have this mindset that we will build things and these things we build will last forever The White House, it's always going to be there. The Statue of Liberty, it's always going to be there. 
The Capitol and the Senate buildings, they're always going to be there. They're not going to go away. And God is saying to the bully, all of this stuff you're building is going to be consumed by fire. The Romans built the Colosseum. It's a ruin. It's no longer being used for entertainment. There's no longer games being played. It's a ruin that people go to see and to remember what was, but it's been destroyed. The bully's day is going to come. And then he gives this kind of little snippet in verse 14, this little picture. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Habakkuk, I want you to understand, I want you to recognize that it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be people running from God, people being angry with God, people being rebellious from God. It's not always going to be like this. And you're not always going to have these bullies dominating the, the, the world and, and stomping on each other and picking on each other and con- trying to control each other and fighting with each other. Habakkuk, the day is coming when the earth will be filled with my glory, God says. And it will be filled like the waters of the ocean cover the floor of the ocean, like it covers the sea. Now, I kind of looked up something. I was curious. This is what's, now, this is what's fun, modern technology. You just go to Google. You know the whole phrase. You just Google it. If you want to know how to do something, you go to YouTube. teaches you how to do it. If you want to get some, get some information, you go to Google. You just Google it. So I go to Google, and I Googled it. What's the average depth of the ocean? Two point three miles. Now they say they've mapped out about ten percent of the sea bottom, so there's only ninety percent left to go. But they're saying around the average depth is about 2.3 miles. Now, to put that in context, now again, I use Google Maps and all that kind of wonderful stuff. Go out, leave our driveway, go to Main Street, turn left. And drive until you see Home Depot on your left. That's about 2.3 miles. So as you go left and start heading up the road, and you go to get to Home Depot, just kind of keeping your mind's eye that from the front of the church to Home Depot is about 2.3 miles. So when you go to the beach next time and you, and you step into the surf and you start to feel that water lapping on your toes, start to think of the fact that if there's an immediate drop-off from that point in time all the way until you get to the, the shores of France or Italy or wherever else you're looking to go. And from that point on, the ocean is 2.3 miles deep. You're not on to be, you don't want to step any further because as soon as your toes get wet, you're dropping. 2.3 miles deep. That's a lot of water. Especially recognizing that water covers more of the earth than dirt covers more of the earth. 
And he's saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, just as the waters cover the ocean, my glory is going to permeate the earth. That day is coming. That day is coming. Be patient. We're still being patient, but be patient. That day is coming. It's not always going to be like this. He goes on to the next woe, beginning at verse 15. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath, and even making them drunk in order to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you. An utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. Now I have learned over the years to sometimes as I'm reading through stuff, how does a different translation translate this? So I kind of want to go through a couple of the other translations that exist. So let's go to the Christian Standard, or not the Christian Standard, but the English Standard Version, the ESV, and that should be on the screen. This is how it gets translated through the ESV. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze on their nakedness. And as you start to look at this and think on this, there... I, For me, I can't read this without starting to get this idea of rape in my mind. I remember, you know, you know how you have buddies growing up? I have this one buddy, I I knew him from second grade. And um, we would go to each other's houses and hang out at each other's homes. And so we knew each other before girls were like, whoo. Okay, we knew each other when girls were still icky. I remember in, I think it was our senior year, he came to me and I was in the library and he goes, come here, come here. Just look. He opened his wallet. There was a condom. He told me about how he and his girlfriend are going to go out that weekend. They're going to go out Friday night. He's going to bring a six pack and he's, they're going to get drunk and she's going to get drunk and things are going to take place. Kind of icky. That's kind of what's going on here. I'm going to, we get them drunk to look on their nakedness, to make them pliable. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. 
In this U2 movement that we live in today, it's been intriguing how the, the back rooms and the curtains in individuals' lives that used to be covered, how the curtains have been pulled back. And power and authority and control is now being exposed and people are now being humiliated and embarrassed because of the ways that they have conducted themselves. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and the violence of the earth to cities and all who dwell in them. Now, I wanted to read from the NET. You can pop that up, Eugene, but I'm not going to. That's a little bit more explicit than I want to get to, but as they translated it, it was a little more graphic. Now, what's the reality here? We're dealing with earthy language. God is using earthly language to describe the reality of what's going to take place. But let's go to the NLT, the New Living Translation. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. And God is coming to Habakkuk and saying, Habakkuk, I want you to understand that these individuals, these bullies, these tyrants, these nations that are doing these horrible things in Babylon that's going to come in and sweep through and do these horrible things, we want, I want you to understand that this not going to go unnoticed. It's not unseen. And the very devastation that they bring and the very horrible things that they do, these things are going to be exposed. They're going to be carried forward. And they're not going to move forward without justice judgment. Habakkuk, I want you to understand that judgment will take place. Judgment will happen. You know, we sit around, we look at things, we watch things in our world, and we ask ourselves at times, will justice ever prevail? Will judgment ever surface? Will the guilty people ever be carried out and shown to be guilty? We need to be patient for God's justice. See, we want to be the ones who will point to fingers. We want to be at times the ones who will execute justice and, 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 and bring fairness and righteousness and, and confront these things that are going on that are wrong and make it right. But sometimes those things are just not in our hands to do. We're just not in that position of authority. We just don't have that position of power to do those things. And this is where we come back. And Habakkuk is one of those guys. He's hearing what God is saying. He's understanding what God is going to do. But he's not in that position of power. He's not in that position of authority to make these things happen. So he's just going to wait for God to do it. Habakkuk, wait on me. It will happen. The 
God goes on, dropping down to verse 18. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it. This is, isn't this crazy? It's bizarre. It's crazy. For the one who crafts it, crafts its shape trusts in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? No. Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Notice the difference in silence. The idol is mute. It is silent because it has no breath. It has no life. It is a fabrication of imagination. It is mute. But we should be silent in the presence of God. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. This is their world, isn't it? They have their various idols. No, no, it's, it's crazy. You, 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 you go back and you read in Daniel and, and, and Daniel kind of interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream and, and part of Nebuchadnezzar's reaction is to build an idol to himself and to erect this idol to himself and to say to his people and to set it up in Babylon and to say to everyone, fall down and worship the idol. It has no life. And the nation of Israel is being reprimanded and punished and and called to account. Why? Because they kept on going after false idols. Things that had no life. Things that had no breath. Things that had no ability to speak or interact or respond. It's like Elijah when he confronted the prophets of Baal. And as they ranted and raved all day long and they, and, they, and they cried out to the Baal, the God of Baal. And, and he's taunted them. says, did he go on vacation? Is he in the bathroom? Does he go someplace where he can't hear? He doesn't exist. He's just an imagination carved out of wood. He's an imagination that someone took hammer and chisel to and and fabricated something of stone. And they made it look pretty by putting special stones or, or a special metal next to it. But it's not alive. It has no life. It doesn't hear because its ears don't work. It doesn't it doesn't speak because its mouth is stone. It doesn't talk. It has no brain, it has no heart, it's not real.
And Elijah said, okay. And he rebuilt the altar. And he said, get some water and dump it on it. And get some more water and dump it on it. No, not enough water. Put more water on it. And he offered a simple prayer. And God brought fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Because the God of the Bible, he has ears that hear. The God of the Bible has breath in his mouth to speak. Because of the God of the Bible, he's real. He's not someone's fabrication. He's not made up. He's not artificial. He is real. And even here, he is having a conversation with Habakkuk. They put their confidence in something that doesn't exist. They put their confidence in something that's not going to be there when the day of push coming to shove arrives. There's nothing. No recourse. No, no place for them to turn. Because that which they put their trust in, that which they put their faith in, doesn't exist except on their shelf. It's powerless. What are the idols we make today? We make idols today. Technology is one of our huge idols, isn't it? Now, we create stuff with algorithms and we can try to make it talk and we can try to give it a sense of intelligence but it has no power and it has no authority besides the X's and the zeros and, and ones I guess behind its, its structure. It doesn't have the ability to save. People have still made their might and their power their idols. Humanism has become the, one of the huge idols today, isn't it? Mankind is wonderful. Mankind is great. We're going to rise up and we're going to rise above. Atheism is a big idol today. God doesn't exist. It's all about the flow of creation. That's a misnomer. It's all about the flow of the world system and the and the evolutionary process as though it has a mind to speak and a, and a voice to communicate with it's mindless doesn't exist we have our modern idols things that people have put their confidence in how many people have put their confidence in their checking accounts their retirement accounts Believing that all of this stuff will sustain them and be there for them. And then they get sick. Or then they get old. And they look at the reality that they're about 
to take their last breath sooner than they anticipated, and it's coming more quickly than they wanted. And all these idols that they've carried up to this point in time don't comfort them on their deathbed because they know they're about to enter into something that they're not prepared for. And they don't know what's next. Now the humanist has convinced himself there's nothing more. I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to draw my last breath, and I'm going to cease to be. But when they draw their last breath and they close their eyes and it won't open again and they slide from this life, they're not prepared when they open their eyes in eternity. And they found out that what they thought was true was not. Why? Because the idols we've created are just as lifeless as the idols that God is talking to Habakkuk about. They're just as worthless. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Despite the apparent chaos, wickedness, injustice, or unfairness that exists, God is saying, Habakkuk, I am still on my throne. Habakkuk, you think that I have lost my eyesight. Habakkuk, you think I have lost my hearing. Habakkuk, you think I have lost my understanding. I have not. I am responding. I am reacting. I'm just doing it differently than you expected it. And I'm doing it in ways that you probably don't necessarily want me to do it because you want me to do it differently. But Habakkuk, I'm going to do it in the way that I think works best. God's still on his throne. A few takeaways I want to encourage you to think about. You'll see these on the bottom of your notes. Number one, we come back to faith. This whole conversation of faith, but the righteous will live by faith. It is the core and key verse. But faith means learning, leaning into God's values and promises as a way of life, not as a means of grace. This is important. So when the scriptures say, but the righteous will live by faith... We're we're resting in God. We're trusting him. But if we're going to be living by faith, we're not trusting the things that we're doing to save us. Do you understand? So we're not trusting, I am being faithful and obedient. That's going to save me. We're not trusting, I'm seeking to live my life as a good steward. That's not going to save 
we're doing that. We're living by faith and we're trusting the pathway that God has put in front of us. We're trusting the route that God has laid in front of us. And so we're going to lean into God. We're going to trust him. And so as he enfolds us, we're going to lean into him and we're going to trust him that as he has laid these things out, as we do those things, he's going to guide our steps and take care of us. But our salvation is not found because we're living by faith in the various things that we're doing and how we live. Our salvation comes because we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we're trusting Jesus to give us life. We're trusting Jesus to hold on to us. And we're living by faith in all of these other things because we're learning to trust God in the journey even though we don't understand all the things that are swirling around us. And Habakkuk is being told by God, Habakkuk, I want you to trust me. I want you to lean in on me. I want you to trust me. You don't understand all the things that are taking place. You don't see the beginning from the end. You don't see all the details that are flowing through with what I'm trying to accomplish and all the ways I'm trying to accomplish it. But Habakkuk, I want you to trust me. The righteous live by faith. And so therefore, Habakkuk, I I want you to trust me. I want you to follow after me. You may not understand it, but trust me. But that's not what saves. It's his faith in Christ. It's his faith in God that saves. And it's our faith in Christ that saves. But learning to walk by faith, learning to trust God in the process is a challenge that's in front of us. There's so much we don't understand. And there's so much swirling around us at different times that does not make sense. And yet God walks through his word and explains various steps and processes and how we should live. And And as we walk that, God walks with us in the journey and helps us in the journey. Walk by faith. Number one. Number two. Faith means let go of trying to control outcomes. God will address things in his time and in his way. Habakkuk wanted to control the outcome. So as he started to talk to God about the injustice, the unfairness, the wickedness that he was seeing around him, he had an idea of what the outcome should look like. And God had a different outcome. And he really didn't like that outcome. And so he came back and said, you have got to be kidding me. That's your solution? And so God walked through. Habakkuk, this is what's going on. They're not going to get away with it. There's going to be justice and I'm going to work. And the the day is coming where my glory is going to fill the world. Trust me. We want so often to try the out, to control the outcome. Now, in years past, I have spoken somewhat critically of the moral majority. We've talked about that a little bit. That was our attempt to control the outcome. It was our attempt to try to control how people would live. It was our attempt to try to control what people would do. Maybe well-intended, but so flawed. We need to let go of trying to control the outcome and trust that God, over time, will accomplish what he said he's going to do. Number three. Be careful not to build idols. Idols that give us permission to live outside of God's values. 
and promises or idols that allow us to pursue life, justice, or righteousness the way that we think it should be done. If we're not careful, we're going to start building idols. They're going to serve our agendas and serve our purposes or that are going to give us permission to live in the way that we want to live. Look at our world's idols today. That's exactly what the things they're doing. They're giving them permission to live the way they want to live. We're going to do a series in late, late fall on some of these issues. And so often people are choosing to disregard and, and, and kick away the values of God because they have a different set of agendas they want to live by. And so they create new idols to give them permission to live the way they want to live or to hold on to the things that they decide are more important. But we need to guard ourselves. We need to choose not to build idols. See, if we're building idols, we're not living by faith. We're building idols. And number four, be patient. The day is coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God. It is coming. We tend to be impatient. We want things a whole lot sooner than they show up. And God is telling them, Habakkuk, these things will take place. These things will unfold. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. The next week we're going to start to read and look at chapter 3, which you see Habakkuk's response to his questions, his complaints, and God's answers. I'd encourage you to take some time to read chapter 3. And we're going to start to walk through it next week. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I want to say thank you again so very much for your amazing, rich goodness and kindness to us. Father, as we get ready to head into this week, as we prepare to pursue the things that you have put in front of us, Lord, I would ask that you would go before us. And Father, even as we have talked today about living and walking by faith, Father, that you would help us with that, to trust you. To not be impatient with you and and not to get frustrated with you, but to trust. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.